0: Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Oh, my beautiful friends. I so appreciate you tuning in to yet another episode of the Rise Together podcast. I have a fantastic guest on the show today, Jason Wilson. He's an emotional stability training expert after decades of attempting to manage society's quote-unquote, acceptable masculine emotions, anger, aggression, boldness. Jason realized that it wasn't working for him, and now he's learned how to master his emotions, verbally process them, and is teaching other young men how to do the same in this attempt to become a better man, a better husband, a better father, better lead- leader, all of the things He's doing it all through martial arts and his training academy, and I am here for it. He also happens to have a new book, Battle Cry, Waging and Winning the War Within. It is releasing on September 21st. Ooh, that is in real time. And it documents his personal journey of mastering his emotions, communicating more effectively, and releasing past trauma while offering readers a practical guide to begin their own healing. Who doesn't need this, man, woman, or otherwise? Y'all are in for a treat. Defying a culture that proclaims that real men don't cry. That is a lie. I have the uh, Cal Ripken-esque streak for consecutive days of crying in this last year myself. Uh, Jason calls readers to unlearn society's definition of masculinity and discover the freedom and healing of engaging with and mastering their emotions. Ooh, this is going to be a good conversation. Please welcome jason wilson to the rise together podcast what would the world look like if we all pushed ourselves to have candid conversations with people who didn't look like us think like us or live like us i'm dave hollis and i'm on a mission to learn more about this world by meeting more of the people who live here you may not always agree with everything you hear but I guarantee you'll come away more informed on topics you might never have thought to seek out before. This isn't just a podcast, it's a community. And when we raise each other up, we all rise, together. Hello, Jason. Hey, what's up, Dave, man? Glad to be here, man. (laughs) I am so happy that you're here. This is, this is a very, very topical thing for me in my life against the backdrop of what has been both the hardest and best year of my life in the midst of a lot of transitions. So I'm so excited to talk to you about how we process the things that we process and what normal, quote unquote, ends up being as it pertains to the way we feel and how we show the way that we feel. I tried to just give a, a, a quick overview of who you are in a bio, but I'm hoping that maybe you can, for our listeners who may not yet be familiar with your work, give a quick overview of what you do, where you've come from, and why, big, big question, why you believe that you are on this planet? Hmm. Well, my name is Jason
1: Wilson, as you already said, but I'm the founder and CEO of a nonprofit called The Union. We're based in Detroit, and that came out of my passion to reach youth, and it actually started as a record label, man. And uh, when we realized it was a, a Christian record label, but when we realized that when the music stopped, the kids still had the issues, they still had the struggles. We went after our nonprofit status and the rest is, is history. Um, right now, currently my wife, and I'm fortunate to have her, she's our executive director and she runs the day-to-day operations. As I continue to develop what really has gotten us the most attention, which is the Cave of Adullam, Uh, transformational training academy where I teach, train, and transform uninitiated boys into comprehensive men. And so that's pretty much what I do. Of course, I'm an author as well and a coach. Uh, What I'm here for, you know, early on, man, you know, you like, I'm all over the place. You know, I thought I was supposed to be a platinum producer, Uh, but I realize now just from the fruit that is growing that I'm, I'm here to help Uh, train up the next generation of boys, but also heal their fathers. Uh, Frederick Frederick Douglass says, it's easier to raise a boy or build a boy than it is to repair broken men. Although I agree with this quote, I'm almost certain he did not mean that we should leave men broken. And so in the process of me training up these boys, helping them work through the trauma they've experienced, I get to meet their fathers and help them heal as well. And then when they heal, The whole family heals and then it branches off into the community in the world so that's pretty much my
0: purpose i love this mandate on your life (laughs) so good i find myself i have uh four kids myself 13 12 9 4 i am spending a lot of time creating content having conversations with my youngest children about some of these higher, more elevated personal development concepts that I am teaching adults, whether it's in books or podcasts, at the youngest ages so that they might build some capital T truths of their own before the world starts teaching them their lies so that I don't even have to hopefully have as a market them when they become older i'd like to make obsolete some of the tools that i'm creating for adults because of the way that maybe pouring into them makes them not a customer for some of the stuff that we've created for grown-up adults but um what was it about your own journey that had you thinking that i need to spend some time with these kids to get their heads in the right space
1: Um... It was my own wounds, you know, um, growing up without my father actively in my life. He was in the same city. Uh, he loved me, but, you know, he was emotionally incarcerated like the majority of men of his generation. And even now, he did not know how to express his emotions beyond providing and protecting. So, beyond that, he, I, I didn't hear him say he loved me, man, until I was 37 or 38 years old. So, growing up with that mm. pain and then starting our nonprofit. I started noticing a lot of uh, boot camps were like sparking up everywhere. I even participated in a couple of scare straight programs where they take the kids into the prisons and try to scare them, on, put them on a straight path. And I saw then like, man, you know, how is this going to work? How are you going to expect the kid to release trauma and you're re-traumatizing? And as a result, Mm. you can really find, I, I don't know how many it was a lot, you know, in two thousand and five, but it's maybe about two boot camp programs now in my area. I started off, man, martial arts, discipline, strength. You know, as men, we, you know, we straight only masculine males. And then I saw that our boys, especially the boys I was working with in African American community, they didn't need more discipline; they needed more love. So then I opened up, oh. I opened up the range and made the cable adellum training more comprehensive, where they can not only learn how to fight, defend themselves against bullies, but also learn how to feel and become comprehensive with their emotions. You know, and then when they find out that masculinity is not a definition for manhood, it's just an adjective that means simply boldness, aggression, you know, strength, things like that. They will wait a minute, what about the other things I need as a human being? And so to develop that and to give them what I long for, is what really drove me, man, and you speak of your children, which I, you know, I want to salute you, man. It's so often that we get so caught up in helping everyone else that our own home suffers, man. So I salute you for that. And my, my son, and I, I say that to say, I was training with my son in the basement, and he looked at me, he says, Dad, how did you become a great dad when your dad wasn't? And I said, Son, I simply gave you what I longed for. And so at the end of the day, so at the end of the day, Dave, instead of Living from what I lack or lacked, I became what I longed for. And that's how, you know, I'm able to do what I do today.
0: It's what what an amazing testimony, because there are plenty of us that in lack will believe that we are only available for so much that we didn't get what we needed. And so we can't reach for or believe that we deserve more than we do and hear you in the midst of lack, in the midst of trauma, in the midst of not having what you wish you would have, instead of having that be something of a self-fulfilling prophecy for what was available to you, have decided instead, nope, I'm going to try and create the version of who I wish I would have had for my own kids. And even beyond that, create the tools and resources for other people who may in fact find themselves in that same kind of situation. What a beautiful like when I think of like, why, why is Jason on this planet? Like this is you living into calling on a high level. And if you as a listener are someone who didn't have the beneficiary of a parent showing up the way you might have hoped to, part of what I hope you hear in Jason's testimony is that you also have an opportunity to, as a parent, stand for your kids in a way that fills the needs that you didn't have filled yourself by becoming someone that your parent wasn't. Wow. Uh, do you have a recollection of when you realized that you were in trauma growing up? Is there is there a point in time where you said, oh, wow, mm. this isn't the way things mm. are supposed to be?
1: Well, wow, that's a great question, man.
0: Um, well,
1: you know, I was born into trauma, uh, intergenerational trauma just passed throughout our lineage. My grandfather was lynched by a group, of, group oh. of police officers and beaten, beaten and then lynched. And then uh, to make sure that my mother and her siblings and their uncle didn't, you know, didn't try to rebel against them. They terrorized them every day until my uncle almost went insane. So that, that trauma passed to me. And what was crazy is when I was three years old, my brother Larry was murdered. And then when I was 23, My other brother, he was murdered in 1993. And so, uh, and I can go on. My best friend was shot in the head. He lived. Uh, My other best friend, as I got older, perfect shape, dropped dead of a heart attack on the job working with us. Beautiful guy. So what's interesting, man, in the African-American community, I write about it in Battle Cry. We tend to wear trauma as a badge of honor because of we had to, learn to endure, to overcome because of slavery, because of chattel slavery and and watching our children be sold off like animals to the highest bidder. We had to learn how to suppress. It was very unhealthy, but we had to do it to survive. So here is this, my mother and all of her siblings unable to release the trauma of their father being beaten and lynched by police and then being terrorized. They couldn't let it go. And that traveled into me. So I'm thinking, okay, this is just a part of the Black experience. But I came to figure out it's not a part of the Black experience. No one should get comfortable with getting shot or shot at. No one should feel comfortable with getting uh, a phone call that your son was, you know, killed or anything like that. And so that's was it's very imperative for me that I shed light onto who we really are as African-Americans. And more so when I realized that uh, this whole um, of men being emotionally incarcerated. I thought it was a black thing, but when our first video went viral with over hundred million views and our phones, our phones were ringing so much, Dave, we had to shut down the office. And I started getting calls from brothers from all over the world. I call them my brothers from another mother, different ethnicities crying saying, I wish my coach would have talked to me the way you talked to him all my father did was curse me. I'm tired of not being able to say I'm tired. That's when I realized one of the biggest issues we face in this society is that we look at each other through our own cultural lenses. And so I pray Mm -hmm. that I, I, of course, I always want to be able to look at my culture and see what's going on and try to bring light to any dark area. But I pray also that I'll be able to see with my other brothers and sisters cultural lenses as well and have empathy and or have uh, anger towards injustice that they may be facing as as I would like them to face with me. So to your question, man, it it was, I didn't realize it was an issue until, man, when I realized I couldn't take care of my mother. My mother who had uh, died, she passed from dementia um, 2016. And I was just a masculine male man. All I knew how to do was provide and protect. I knew how to deal with the pharmaceutical companies who were trying to rip her off. I knew how to uh, challenge the doctors for just wanting to push pills on mom. And then, you know, taking care of the house, things like that. That was fine. But when mom started losing it mentally, when she started cursing at me, when she, uh, I started seeing her deteriorate. The first love of my life dying right before my eyes. I prayed to God that he would just take her life because this is not living. And I heard so clear. He's like, that's not love, Jason. That's fear. You're not praying Mm. that prayer for her benefit. You're praying it for yours. And he says, you got to become a comprehensive man. And I'm like, well, what is that? A comprehensive man, as I define in Battle Cry, is a man who is courageous, but also compassionate, strong, but sensitive. And this is the key. A man who freely lives from the good in his heart and not his fears, Dave, because I allow myself to be human, I was still masculine because I still, I remember one day my mother couldn't walk and we were blocks away from the house. She just collapsed. I grabbed her because I was strong. I adopted my masculine attributes and carried her home. But when I laid her down, I became tender, patient, loving. Those aren't masculine attributes. But because now I became a comprehensive man, I could access those. That's when I realized, like, wait a minute. So me walking around like the lion all the time isn't the way I'm supposed to live. Being in fight or flight is not good for the brain. So I created a concept in my training called you want to be the lamb and the lion. You know, sometimes Mm. it's men and women. They need to hear us roar when the hyenas come. They need to be scared away from the pride but we have to quickly reset back to the lamb where we can be stable to respond and not react to what's coming. And many people say they wanna be the beast and they compare themselves to the lion. You gotta understand the lion sleeps almost 20 hours a day. He's in lamb mode the majority of the day, bro. But when those hyenas come or a threat, he rises up to that occasion. That's a comprehensive man, to be everything that you need so that you can be anything that you have to be at any given moment.
0: Oh, so many things. I mean, first, I want to honor that there, of course, are components of what you're working through that are very specific to the African American experience, but you're also talking about the human experience. And that if we lose track of the humanity of what you're trying to work through, or that we're all made in the image of God, mm-hmm. and that sometimes people tend to put that image of God as the image of themselves, as opposed to the image of any man or any woman, that all of a sudden it diminishes what it might mean to live through the experience of someone who's different than us. You are trying to connect more than anything to the human experience in all of this. And there is, I think, just such beauty in that. But more than that, there's this idea of unlearning some of what society has defined as masculinity, which I just find so important and empowering because I am myself in trying to showcase to my three boys and my girl, by the way, but I have, again, these three boys that are 14, 13 and nine, that it's okay for me to be sad. It's okay for me to process. It's okay for me to be the lamb, as you just said, because I want to invite them into a world that says you can be a man who also is comfortable crying when grief is present so that they don't feel like they're less than in the midst of that. How, how did, how did you become yourself comfortable in it? And how after the comfort did you start teaching other men to themselves, become comfortable with themselves?
1: You know, it's interesting, man. You know, um, I didn't have to teach men. It's in us. We're holding it back. So I tell men all the time, You're crying, you're just not crying the way God designed you to. You're crying when you get addicted to drugs and you need that to, to, to deal with the stress at your job. You're crying when you're abusing your spouse. You're crying when you're gambling away all your money due to a lack of fulfillment in life. And so we're crying, we're just crying in unhealthy ways. So when I get men in a room, like 20 or 30 men, you just start talking and open up the floor and make it a safe space, men break down because we're human. The body really wants to release it, man. And so, you know, Dr. William Frey, he's a biochemist, man. And when I discovered that he discovered that tears uh, that excrete from the body from emotional stress or trauma contains 98%, it contains 98% water, but also stress hormones. That was an epiphany for me because then I realized like, man, this is why I feel better after I cry. And then if I look at all of my friends or just men in general who don't cry, man, they're, they're living miserable lives. And then you wonder why we die by suicide three to four times as likely as women, that nine out of 10 humans who live to be over 100 are women. And 70%, I believe, of homicides committed in the United States are by men. So so those are some alarming numbers. And when you hear psychotherapists say that they believe it's due to we're being conditioned to suppress our emotions instead of releasing them, that was very concerning to me. And so a lot of times as men will say, we need to redefine masculinity. No, we don't. Masculinity is fine. We have to understand that masculinity was never meant to be an encompassing definition of manhood. It's not, it's just an adjective. That's all it is, let's leave it there, it's great. There's no such thing as toxic masculinity. A man becomes toxic when he only allows himself to live under masculine attributes. And I give an example, in Battle Cry of the Pit-
0: Hold on real quick, say that again, because that is just too powerful right there. Toxic masculinity only becomes toxic when- Go ahead and say that again, please.
1: Masculinity itself is not toxic. A man becomes toxic, when he only allows himself to live under or be confined by masculine attributes. And I get, so I give the example, Dave, of the Pit Bull Terrier in Battle Cry because I was connecting some dots so men could see how unhealthy this is. So here's the Pit Bull Terrier. What is this dog pretty much known for, bred for? You would say fighting or protector. Aggression. Yeah, for sure, yeah. period. When you see images, you're like, whoa, this dog is serious. Because of that, what happened? This breed was banned in many cities, all right? Because it was very unstable. I'm so thankful because I love animals and I love especially dogs to these dog rescue initiatives, especially ones for pit bulls. Because of them, we're now seeing that the pit bull terrier is not only a protector, but also a loving companion and family dog. Now this dog is being adopted in shelters. Before, no one saw that dog that way but when you only train him up to live one way, when he was created to be more than just a protector, he becomes what you would call toxic. And that's what happened to us as men. When you tell us we can't nurture, and we are nurturers by heart, and I gotta stay hard now, like me when my wife had five miscarriages, I was disconnected. I didn't know how to communicate. I didn't, I, I felt hurt, but I'm like, well, wait a minute. I ain't a man if I feel that, so let me purge that away. I couldn't even be there for my wife. And, and, and that's, that's dangerous. And then what was beautiful, when, well, let me talk about the tragedy before I show you the beauty. When Kobe Bryant yeah. passed, him and his daughter Gianna, I believe with nine other people in a, heli- in a helicopter crash, we started seeing pictures online, on social media. And the pictures of Kobe wasn't the mamba donkey or just being dogmatic. We saw pictures of him being a nurturer with his daughter loving his wife, his daughter's. Then you started seeing what, Dave? Men with their daughters posting pictures. Yep. And the hashtag was called Girl Dad. Because- I did it too. Oh yeah. Listen, I did it my too. My daughter was here. Oh, my yeah. daughter was. She was in LA at the time. My daughter's 26. I was definitely a Girl Dad. And I was a nurturer. Now, for men to show that willingly, they just needed someone to model it because we are nurturers. We are, I mean, I comb my mother's hair. I never thought I would have done that. I filed her fingernails and did her fingernails, you know, put the polish on them because she needed it. I can be anything and everything I have to be at any given moment. That's comprehensive manhood. And that's what my desire is for all of my brothers.
0: Man, I love that. So I know in this community, there are more women than there are men. So if there's a woman who's listening in real time, how can they support their partner in processing trauma? If there's something that they are going through, but that the dictate of how to be a real man or a a masculine man is in some ways constraining them from actually processing the grief or the whatever it is that they're going through in in a healthy way. That's a good question. And I wish
1: my wife was here to answer it because she, she, she loves sharing this because, again, this was experiential with us. With what she does, the first thing she does, she says she had to unlearn what she'd been conditioned to believe a man was as
0: well. So that's the first. Ooh, that's good. So that, that, no, that is, an, that is an important first thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, I don't want to underestimate how important this ends up being for any listener. As much as men have been trained how to be men, women have also been trained how men ought to be. Yes. And so like this is man this is a big linchpin in all mm, of them. Yeah, so she it was a funny we posted a video and you know she was like you want him to be
1: caring and all of that, but you still need him to be tough and rugged. So the second thing she learned is that when she starts seeing this softer side, this this side where I was vulnerable because my mother was was dying and it was it was a process, she had to make sure she would never impassively dismiss what I was feeling because all it takes is just you and she could be busy nothing you know no no she wasn't mean-spirited but say she's in the middle of something her mind isn't 100% there and I come to her and I'm hurting and she's just not all the way there and she somehow says okay baby I get with you in one minute that's one of the worst things you can do so she learned in that moment as she was unlearning she was learned she learned in that moment how to allow to welcome me to her like almost just like a best friend talking who's hurting you women drop the ball for their good friends and intently listen and that was her last advice was never impassively dismissed but lastly is to don't listen with the intent of hearing what you want them to say Mm. so she would listen to me like it was her girlfriend open floor no, no, going back and forth, just warning me to us get it out of me. And man, David, it was a challenge, you know, even for her, because she would feel guilty when, you know, I'm saying, well, hey, I'm human, but I'm, I can't just be carrying all of this on my shoulders all the time. I, I feel stressed, just like you feel stressed, you know. And so now we're in the home, and it's interesting because it's periods, man, where it's like. She expected to steal this guy with the Superman cape on, but I took it off because it was strangling me. You know, we, we had our boilers, two of our boilers went out recently at our nonprofit. All right, you're talking $60,000. We're still trying to figure out how we're going to pay. So she's worried. So what are we going to do? I said, oh, well, God gonna have to figure that one out because this is his vision. She's like, well, you're not worried. I'm like, what, you just want me to manage just carry all that? No, 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 no. We're going to pray, and of course, we're going to do fundraising. We're going to do everything we can. But this whole putting this alliteration on men, and and this is what hurts the most when they said, we are the priests, protectors, and providers. It didn't continue. Was no more peas, nothing else. So we're stuck. And then we're taught happy wife, happy life. And then now I have women uh, messaging me Thank you for sharing the truth because that is a, we call a misleading mantras. And like, and Mm -hmm. so what doesn't kill you, another thing we believe is men can make you stronger. Not necessarily because what doesn't kill you maybe just didn't kill you that time. Or this is the classic, everything in moderation. That's not true because ounce of cyanide will kill you. And so it's just so much, we both as husband and wife have been conditioned to believe a man is and also what a woman is, you know, (laughs) And so those three are the main things that I would tell women to do is, you know, the key out of all of those is never be very cautious to never impassively dismiss your husband or significant other when he's being vulnerable. Be all ears like it's the most important thing in the moment.
0: Yeah, in some ways it gives permission to do it again, which is I think what everyone here. Uh, needs more than anything if you are going on a limb in some in some ways and departing from what it might mean to traditionally be a quote-unquote man as defined by masculinity if the time when you do it you get rebuked because of not having Mm. been heard or having been made feel embarrassed or whatever it might be the chances that you're going to come back out on that limb are pretty (laughs) slim i think the the question though that like i think it ends up begging in some respects is like what should define us as men like if we've had other people or programming from society or our family of origin tell us how to be as men what should define us as men if we are hoping to feel whole or 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 connected to something that can be what i would call both both like protector and empath um, to me, you know,
1: I love the lion and the lamb concept, you know, yeah. and the whole definition of being a comprehensive man. I, I, I don't want to be limited by a definition. I want to be anything and everything I have to be at any given moment. You know, if, if, you know, God forbid someone I love, you know, gets hurt or something and need me to be tender for, for two months. If I define myself by certain categories or adjectives. Now I can't even operate in that, you know. So yeah. I I think the best definition is your purpose, who you are, you know. What if you're a gardener? We, we the man making a definition for manhood, or you want to be a gardener too? Yeah, just insert gardener, uh, you know, violinist, uh, 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 culinary arts. You're not going to put those in there. So what I'm saying is, is we're, we so we want to be defined, and a lot of that comes from a lack of affirmation and abandonment, other issues where we're not comfortable with just being one or two things, you know? And it's like, I'm, I'm focused on who I am I, and I wanna be a servant of the most high. I wanna be a loving uh, husband, faithful husband. I wanna be a patient and loving dad. And then I still, from there, I wanna branch out and help men and boys heal. Man, you see how big that palette is? I have to do a lot. So yeah, many. Yeah, things. it's like, come on, man. I can't, <laughs> I can't just be the tough guy with the first three. It didn't work. I yep. almost ruined my yep. daughter and our relationship. I was the very definition of discipline and dad. Everything in order. This, this, and that. Why do you say this? This is that. Why is your room junkie? Now I would say, hmm it's easy for her to clean a room. I wonder what's going on in her mind because it's cluttered here. Let me sit and talk with her. So with my son, he has the best version of me. My daughter had masculine male as dad. And we had to, I had to really do some work, psychotherapy, group therapy with my daughter to really reconcile a lot that I I did, man. It wasn't good. And so I advise every man, do not allow anyone to put a definition on
0: you know, uh, I love, by the way, I love the idea of living outside of definition mm. and being more in a, in a posture of honoring the intention of who you're meant to be, mm. right? Like, like wow. the more that you can connect to purpose and the way that <laughs> the actualization of that purpose would have you show up as a man or a woman, yeah. but as a man <laughs> now, all of a sudden is outside of the definition of society or your parents or whatever it ends up being because this is now who you need to be mm. to show up as who you're meant to mm. be and there's freedom in living outside of a definition that just to me gets me excited because I know you like you want to put a label of what a man ought to be on me I'm like ha that is hilarious <laughs> I will every once in a while live inside of that box but I will many times be wildly outside of it and I'm going to be over here if you want to judge me judge me but I'm going to be me because of it being the thing that I believe God has called me in to do because of what I know my kids need because of how I want to feel when I am by myself. And that there's just, there's freedom in that. Mm-hmm. It's, it's such a beautiful thing. It is, man. I mean, even you talked about
1: feeling sadness and so often, you know, when you see people talk about Yeshua or Jesus, they, they paint him as this happy-go-lucky guy, but it's written that he was a man full of sorrow. And then there was a time yeah. he talks about how he weeped through the streets of Jerusalem because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Then there's a time where he made a whip out of cords to chase money changers out of the temple. Then there's a time he tells his disciples to sell their garments so they can carry swords. It's like, whoa, who is this cat? You know, he's anything and everything he had to be at any given moment. And he was so human. What I love, and regardless of your faith, it's interesting if you, if you look at this and it, was, it, it blew my mind. Everyone's heard the story of him raising his best friend, Lazarus, from the grave. What was interesting, like, if me and you were eating, Dave, and God forbid, hopefully we'd get to have lunch they're at dinner, and you choke on a steak bone and you die, I wouldn't cry if I had the power to raise you, Dave. I would just say, hey, Dave, hey, come forward. What's up, man? Spit that up. Let's go. Let's finish eating. No problem. Why did Yeshua cry? He wept bitterly. Because he knew he, see, he, he was he was God in the flesh, but still needed to release the emotions that he still was in this human vessel. And here it is: yeah. a very powerful man, very powerful, chose in that moment to show vulnerability so that he can recover and bring forth his friend. How many of us as men could should adopt that? Instead of saying to each other when we're hurting, stay strong, bro, bro," which I'm good with, but subconsciously we're telling each other when we're weak, something is wrong. So, cause no yeah. one can stay strong. But what if we took time to heal, cry and grieve, now we can help our other brother who appears to be mentally and emotionally dead and bring him forth. Now he's able to be strong, but also sensitive, courageous, but compassionate. So he can break down crying when his other friend is down, have the compassion needed to go raise him from the grave. But if everybody is all good all the time, you know, you get through it, my man. You push through. You good. You good. You know. Now we we upset when we get a call that he died by suicide. Compassion yeah. is needed, man. And new, you' new oh. you talk about courage in your your new book coming out. There is no courage without fear. There's no need to be courageous if you ain't scared of nothing. So I never tell my boys and men, be fearless. That's impossible. Soon as you become a father, you're going to be fearing a lot because you're going to, your kids are like your heart walking outside of you. All right. So there's no such thing as a fearless man. You can be courageous, but that being courageous is only possible because you feel fear. And that's. Another thing I talk about, Dave, is, is allowing men to feel the emotion of fear so they stop being, well, stop succumbing to it. Whether it's running when you shouldn't run or fighting when you shouldn't be fighting. If you give yourself the opportunity to feel it, then you can make the best decision instead of reacting.
0: Oh, it's so true. Okay, a couple of things. Like I have found more power and strength in owning my struggle publicly in a way that now in having owned it, took shame and created power from it. Because here it was taking a thing that was living and festering in the dark and instead was representing that I'm working on this in a way that actually ascribed pride to the progress I was making on the thing. But also because of the universal nature of struggle, immediately because of my willingness to have a conversation about it, connected me to every single person I was talking to because of course, anyone who is listening today, including you and myself, we're all struggling. It's just like, it's a a thing that of course we're all going through and normalizing struggle as the price of entry for a life ended up becoming something for me that just was connecting. I now could connect to anyone and everyone who also was going through their own version of struggle. And often in that connection also got some tips on, Hey, I've struggled in this exact thing. This is the thing I use. Now i got tips, hacks on how to get a time machine to move past the, the struggle mm. or through the grief or whatever it might be in a faster way because of someone seeing my struggle now that it was brought into the light. The second thing is, if I choke on some steak <laughs> with you, if you wait three days, I'm gonna be upset. <laughs> I'm gonna need you to wait one day, sir. I, I'm not gonna wait one second, man. <laughs> That's hilarious, Yeah. I love that Lazarus story, but I also know that there were some family members that were like, you waited oh, three absolutely. days to make
1: this I, happen, man. That was to remove all doubt, as you know. Like, yeah, for sure. Man. I know. I know why. <laughs>
0: but
1: I, won't, I, won't I know why. Like that,
0: but man. It, <laughs> Thank the you. The waiter won't even right. come
1: by the time I raise you, so.
0: <laughs> Thank you. Uh, all right. You've got this new book. It's called Battle Cry. I'm super, super excited for listeners to get their hands on it, but can you tell a little bit about why you wrote it, and what readers can expect if they pick it up. So you, you talked about, you know, being transparent and sharing your struggle.
1: And so Cry Like a Man, which was my first book, my memoir, that's what I talked about, how to break free from emotional incarceration, vulnerability, transparency, being human. Battle cry is to teach men how to stay free. Because all the men were like, man, I love Cry Like a Man, but what do you do? Can you show me exactly what you do? And so that's what battle cry is. It's my blueprint of the spiritual and mental weapons I use to wage war, like you said, daily. Because the struggle is every day. If you're living in any type of purpose and you're making change or there is a struggle as soon as you wake up, it's a struggle when you walk out the door. It's a struggle when you're trying to go to sleep. Hence why many people struggle falling asleep. And so battle cry is that deep dive into the war that many of us run from. The most challenging thing for us to do as men is to face ourselves and then to deal with it. We're quick to brush it off. We're quick to go get a beer, quick to go get high so that we don't have to deal with the abandonment issues, the abuse, the neglect, the fear of failure, the regrets. That's what a war is. And so many of us as men, we're good, we're jumping in front of bullets if someone's shooting in our family, running a burning building. But we take our sweet time to go introspectively into our own hearts and minds and to deal with what's causing us to not break through what we've been through. And that's in his what battle cry is. It's it's a journey for men who are suffering in silence, who no longer can yell a battle cry. Well, not can, who no longer have the fight to yell one. My goal is to get them back to where they were, yell that battle cry and run to that war and fight it. And win that war so that they so that they
0: can live the life that they long for. Oh, so good. If you, as a listener, have a man in your life that is someone number one that you care about, but the two maybe has lost their ability to to bark that cry, I will mm-hmm. in the show notes make sure that the link for Battle Cry is there. It's called Battle Cry. Waging and Winning the War Within. It is out right now. I want you to grab this book for some man in your life that you love. What is next for you, Jason? What is what is the mm. next thing you're going to work on? I mean, I know like as a person who writes books, the only thing I can think about when a book is coming out is the book that is coming out. <laughs> but are you contemplating what you're going to work on well, next? Well, interesting you <laughs> asked,
1: man. I, uh, I, you heard of the actor Lawrence Fishburne?
0: Yeah, of course. okay. Well,
1: so I signed with his film company in 2018 to film a documentary on my work in the city of detroit with boys in the cave of a and so it's coming out next year and ironically man they just sent me the current cut which is the one right before it finalizes so it'll be in sundance and then it'll be on one of the top streaming platforms next year i'm really excited about it because after looking at the current cut i'm like it's so powerful because it's showing cause and effect and it's showing because especially in the schools You know, a lot of times teachers and school administrators, because they're dealing with so much of their own and have to take on all of our children, we sometimes miss why they're not focused today, why their grades are low. And it's not because they're not studying. It's possibly because of some trauma going on. And that's what the cave shows. And I, I can't wait for this world to see it. But that's what I've been been. Uh, Well, we finished shooting right before COVID, and I'm really excited that that's finally coming out. And then, of course, running our nonprofit here, uh, running the cave, and and my wife just leading the day-to-day with social workers, just everything. She's phenomenal. And I'm just excited to to the future and and to see, for men to find, to see men on a big enough stage who are comprehensive, where tears become so normal in a documentary, the tears starting it looks like strength, like I'm looking, I'm like, man, this is deep. Uh, my assistant is crying, but he looks like a warrior now he didn't look he didn't yeah. look like a wimp because now we, we, we're literally shifting the narrative to what it really means to be a comprehensive man and I close on I love this proverb, an Irish proverb says, never trust a warrior who cannot cry, and so we have mm. to. As men, when we when we become comprehensive, we experience a life. I believe that many of us never thought we could have lived, and and that's the freedom that awaits
0: us when we become, you know, comprehensive men. Comprehensive men is a game changing concept. You are literally changing the world, Jason. Mm-hmm. I'm so so grateful for your work and so grateful for. You heeding the call to stand into what you were put on this planet for, brother. This is amazing stuff. I'm so grateful. If someone is interested in learning more about you, more about your work, where do you send people on the internet to connect with you and the things that you're doing? The
1: easiest, I would would say social media. My handle is uh, Mr. Jason O. Wilson. That's across all platforms. That's M-R-J-A-S-O-N, the letter O, then W-I-L-S-O-N.
0: Excellent. We will put that uh, as a link in the show notes as well. We finish every episode with the same question to all of our guests. If you had a single thing that you could leave with our audience today, a question, an actionable piece of advice, what is the single thing that you would leave our listeners with today? Mm. Wow.
1: The single thing I would leave listeners with. Be what you didn't see be what you didn't mm-hmm. see stop complaining let go of the regrets stop allowing trauma to time travel. be what you
0: didn't see live for what you long for dang it that will preach jason <laughs> wilson is in the house i'm so grateful for you on this episode today ladies and gentlemen if uh, you took anything away from this episode and how the heck could you have not I hope that you will screenshot the device that you were listening this on that you will tag myself and Jason and share this with every person you've ever met in your entire life. Uh, in fact, if you can share one thing that you learned, you are 90% more likely to retain that information if you teach someone else the thing that you'd hope to keep inside of you between now and next week. I hope that you will find a way to be okay with living fully and truly into who you are as a person that is not defined by outside structures, but as a person who is put here for purpose, just like our friend Jason, who is here living it out today. Thank you, Jason, so much for being a part of the show this week. I appreciate you. Thanks, Dave. I appreciate you and
1: um, this opportunity, and I hope it's inspiring to your listeners
0: fantastic Mm -hmm. everyone we will see you next week on another episode of the rise together podcast rise together is hosted by me dave hollis this show is edited by andrew weller with production support by sterling Coates. cameron berkman is our executive producer rise together is a product of the hollis company